Hello, and welcome to the RevOps Show. We all know that the business process must drive the technology. The technology should never drive the business process. So when it comes to the technology we're using, how do we go about choosing which is best to assist our business process? What does this ideal tech stack look like? And how can we avoid tech debt? Doug and Jess discuss all these questions and more here on this episode. Let's get started. Jess. Doug. What's going on? You're all Springsteened out. You know, Jess, it, it, it was an amazing week. You had 47. By the way, the website has been updated. I know you were worried. <laughs> I was. 47th time. 47th time for what you say? Where's uh. <laughs> Springsteen, baby? Was it everything you hoped it'd be? <laughs> it, it, it was. It was. He played two hours and 45 minutes. Which That's is incredible. Short, which is a short but- concert for him. That's still like, <laughs> um, no, it's great. Um, he's 73 years old. Yep. Um, as I've shared, I just want to be able to stand for two hours <laughs> and 45 consecutive minutes when I'm 73 years old. Yep. He, he, he played one relatively slower song, um, acoustic guitar. And I was grateful for that. Cause I sat down, gave me a chance to sit down. <laughs> I was sore the next day. But for for all that on he's 73, I actually think that's not the most impressive part of it. Okay. What's the most impressive part? Mighty Max, Steve. I mean, Mighty Max, Max Weinberg, his drummer. Yep. You, some people may know him from um, Carson Daly. He was Carson Daly's uh, show drummer and, and band leader. Uh, Carson Daly. Oh my God. Uh, no, uh, Conan, I was going to say, I was like, wait a Carson, second. Yeah, Carson's not tracking. And I used to watch Conan. I was like, so yeah, Jess, it's been a, it's been a very, very, very long week for me. So, yep. Um, Max, I'm 71 years old. I don't know how he's still drumming. Cause like drumming is Correct. notoriously bad on your arms and backs and shoulders and everything. Like, everything. I don't know. It's, it's bad on your knees. Yeah. Is what, I mean, it, it, it put like, it's, that's he drummed two hours and 45 minutes. And, you know, I don't, no one talks about Max Weinberg being among the greatest drummers of all time. He's obviously very good, but he has, you know, he has an insane level of influence on, on the East street band. He's, you know, it's well known that, that like he can just read what Bruce is thinking and how he's feeling. So like, you know, right. Just sets. I mean, obviously that's what drummers do is they set the tempo for the entire band but you're 71 years old. And, like, I want to be able to hold the drumstick when I'm 71 years old. And, and by drumstick, I mean a nice piece of chicken. Get it? See? Oh, oh my God. goodness. Oh, yes. but, <laughs> but, but Jess, yeah. not only did, did Bruce come back this week, it was also New Year's. What? The real New Year started yesterday. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> oh. Opening oh. day. How how disappointed would your dad be? He'd be upset. Right <laughs> He'd be upset. Because you know the the real New Year's is opening day. This is um, this is yeah. 
life has begun again. It has come to sprout. We are in we are in baseball season officially, and I can say that because Kentucky's not in the in the playoffs. <laughs> so it is officially baseball season for me. So are you rooting for? Um, I can't remember who. Uh, I got no dog. I got but no dog. Didn't in this San Diego fight. State beat uh, Kansas State? Yeah, I'm probably and rooting Kansas for State beat Kentucky. Right. So the so best by, of the best has to has to. So it doesn't. Yeah. The I principle mean, of Jess's extrapolation mean that the team that beat my team becomes becomes so if my you could team. Could have only beat Kansas State, and you know San Diego State, Kansas State was close. So if you had beaten right. Kansas State by like ten points, right? Then, yeah. Yeah, San Diego State's probably who I'm rooting for. If nothing else, they're if, <laughs> if Calipari had just offered that other kid ten thousand dollars. Oh, here school, we go. Then maybe here Kentucky would still be go. in. Maybe <laughs> Kentucky would be in the final four. Uh, it hurts. It hurts my heart. It's been a rough season. It hurts because it's true. What I just said. I didn't. No, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> so um, I flew back last night. So you can make the rev up show today. So I can make the rev up show. Got in at twelve thirty this morning, twelve thirty one o'clock this morning. Whew. But you know what I watched on the on the flight home? The rev up show. No, I did not. <laughs> what Facing did you watch? Nolan. Oh, was it good? Yeah, it was really interesting. As a matter of fact, apparently, so so Nolan Ryan set the Guinness Book of World Record uh, for the fastest pitch ever ever clocked the time he threw it was 100.3 miles per hour. Yep. What they said in the documentary though, is that, you know, like what they use to measure the speed of the pitch was not precise. If you use today's precision that it would have clocked at 108 miles an hour. That's insane. That's insane. Here, here's the other thing that's insane. He pitched, I forgot about that. Like I knew he was around forever and he was, Yeah. you want to talk about a tough, tough, so, so I'm a Texan, so I have a love for Nolan Ryan. Cause, cause of that. I know, so, yeah. I know. He, he, um, um, I was born in, I was born in Texas. Texas is in my blood. Yep. That's my Nolan Ryan impersonation. Everybody there. Um, his kids are hilarious. Actually, his grandkids are hilarious. Okay. Now I have to watch um, this. I already had it and, on my list, but now I'm going to watch it this weekend. So, um, I guess it was uh, well. His his grandkid said this, and then his daughter talked about. It. He said it's. They said it was. Oh no, it's uh, the middle son. Sorry, said it's really interesting growing up when Nolan Ryan is your dad, but your mom is the most competitive person in the family. <laughs> yeah. Um, he pitched till he was forty six. Yep. I, I you know, I I forgot how many innings like i knew he he was like how many innings he pitched per year I mean, he was he had like a three-year consecutive period where he was like 21 and 16 22 and 18 21 yep. and 17 like I, um he his lifetime batting average against was 203 i didn't realize that like that <laughs> that is insane that is insane um he has he has the record he has 51 records Oh, okay. He has the most no hitters. I knew that. Right, seven. Yep. The most one hitters. Oh, okay. All right. The most two hitters. Two hitters. <laughs> and the most three hitters. It's incredible. Um, he has he has the record for the most strikeouts. 
He has the record. For the most, he has yep. the record for the most walks. He <laughs> has the record for the fewest hits given up per nine innings pitch. So that right there would give an indication that the, the dude's just pitched far more than anybody else. The fact that he he holds all of those records, like. <laughs> well, but 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 here's the thing though: the fewest hits per nine innings pitched mm-hmm. takes out like the length of time that you play. Yeah, actually right. hurts you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But he had, he had that. He has the record for most most punches thrown, where you connect it without getting ejected. <laughs> I, I remembered. I remembered the fight with Ventura. They gave some background on this, by the way. So apparently something had happened the night before or whatever. And so there was a bounty that if, um, that, that if, if Ryan hit you and you didn't charge the mound, that you would get fined. And so when you see, <laughs> when you see Ventura go out, you can kind of tell he really wasn't into no. it. No. Um, but um, so it, it was, uh, oh, and then the, the thing that is just beyond belief, I, they, they showed his career numbers like 21 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 46. Okay. He was his best. 40 to, 40 46. to 46. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, increased average number of strikeouts per nine innings, fewer hits per nine innings, lower ERA. Like, yep. E- e- power pitchers don't get better when they're 40. I mean, it, it I is, I mean, he, he is just a freak of nature. It was, <laughs> it was a really, um, and, and, and what was good is I turned it on. I, I was getting a little bit of work done at the end, turned it on. And as we were just about to land, the documentary was over. So it was the perfect length. Oh, you gotta love that. I love that. A couple glasses of wine. There you go. There you go. And the RevOps show. I was going to say, today's show is not a review of Facing Nolan, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess not. Huh. <laughs> oh, I got to do um, I got to do the first uh, workshop on the Revenue Acceleration Framework workshop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, it was fun because the, the leader of the group um, actually is the hitting coach, volunteer hitting coach for um, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire's softball team. Of course he is. Um, so they they appreciated all the baseball references that I made. <laughs> cool. Good. Awesome. What are we talking about today, Jess? If we're not, I thought we were talking about. I thought I was supposed to prepare with a. Uh, no, we are not talking about the baseball season. Facing Nolan. No, we are not talking about the baseball season. We're not talking about the basketball season, and we're not talking about facing Nolan. Um, today, I want to talk about how to create your ideal tech stack. Building the ideal tech stack. Yep. So I think the the first place I want to start is, and we've talked about this before, but kind of the first thing we talk about when looking at tech stack is that we want to hire technology, not buy it. And and when we talk about hiring technology, what does that mean? So so what it's doing, I mean, it. it I'm, I'm I'm a huge proponent of of, of the jobs to be done theory. Um, I I hate the the way that. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny. I talked about this in yesterday's program, and I and I warned them. I said, "You better have a very clear dis- job description before you hire technology, because those technology companies, they're pretty good at sales. They're pretty good at FOMO. They're you know they're pretty good at enticing you. Um, and and so the whole idea that we talk about it as a solution, 
um, when 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 you think about buying something, you're whether you realize it or not, you're very you know feature benefit perspective. And 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 the problem when you're talking about benefits is that most people when they're talking about benefits aren't actually talking about benefits. They're really talking about advantages. And 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 the difference from a sales strategy standpoint, at least, is that an advantage is what's the positive thing that a feature creates in a general situation. A benefit is explicit. A benefit means it provides something positive to a specific area in a specific situation for a specific person or organization. Um, And so it's like going to a grocery store hungry. You should never go to the grocery store hungry. Did you know that, Jess? You should never go to the grocery store hungry. I've heard that. I've heard that. Have you ever... Have you ever tested it? I've tested it. I, I can, have. It's not I can good. acknowledge that it's wise. It's valid. It's a valid statement. <laughs> um, you know, if if when you when you think about hiring it, it 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 changes your perspective. So you're not buying technology; you're hiring technology to do something. Hey, that person's really good. They're great. You know, if you think about it from a hiring standpoint, there's a really great person. We don't. We don't have a need for that role, but they're great. You're you're not going to hire them, right? We don't we don't right. do that, but we do it all the time with technology. Yep, yep. Right, and and so hiring it really kind of frames a whole lot of other, um, uh, you know, a whole lot of other pieces. Yep. So then, kind of taking that same standpoint of jobs to be done, you know, we talk about creating a job description for the, for the technology. So why, why is that important? And, and how, how does that, how does that work? Well, I mean, in, in, in fairness, it's a little bit, it's a little bit metaphorical um, though, though we've done it. It, you may not know this about me, Jess, but I hate platitudes. Shocker. <laughs> um, the danger of don't buy technology, hire technology. And I've seen it is it's like, Yeah. I mean, you, you've seen it when I shared it with people. Go, oh, my God, that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Right? But then they don't do anything different. And, right. And, and so I, I think it's important that you, that you operationalize whatever the process you're talking about. So, so you know, it, the, the amount of time that, that at least in a good hiring process that we spend to define the position, to define the KPIs, to define, you know, the role, to define the lanes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there, you know, there's a discipline, there's an element of, you know, there's, and, and, and there's a, there's a standardization in the organization, their job descriptions, if they're good, they have, there's a standardized element to it. Um, a good job description sets the basis for how you're going to consider it. By the way, one of the things that happens, we talk about resulting in, in, in conversations, we talk about, you know, it, 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 it's too easy to, to judge decisions or actions after the fact positively or negatively, if you don't do this, you never judge what your, what the rationale was. Like I've seen right. technology get bought, looks like it failed, but if you really identified the, uh, the origin of what led to the technology being bought, mm-hmm. um, they ended up not, they ended up not sticking to that. A lot of times that's because the point of view that of the software that they bought started to entice them to another place. And, and, and so if you don't have, I mean, like you, you could call the the job description. You could call it a requirements document. Okay. But here's what's wrong with ninety eight percent of of technology um, requirement documents. 
Mm-hmm. And 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 the two percent that aren't wrong are because they don't do what I'm about to say. And and by the way, it won't shock you what that that you won't ask why do people do this. The shocking part is that it's a bad idea. The mm-hmm. problem with 98% of technology requirement documents is what they document are the requirements of the technology. Why is that? Yeah. So that's my question. Why is that wrong? <laughs> because just at Lyft, we live by a prime directive. On the RevOps show, we live by a prime directive. And that prime directive is the business process must drive the technology. The technology should okay. dictate the business process. And so, and, and by the way, CRM is the perfect example of this. If you were to put together your most robust technology requirement for CRM, and I've seen some, in, like, I, I've seen a 389 line item um, requirements documentation for CRM, right? Mm-hmm. And with the exception of, of, of the security element, the security requirements do have new, right. but everything that's actually about the CRM has, has existed in CRM since 2002. <laughs> right. Okay. So they're pointless is what you're saying. Well, no, they're not pointless. Right. It's just that I can meet like the problem mm-hmm. is not the technology. I mean, look, do, do you want to make sure you don't buy technology that doesn't meet the the core requirements that the technology right. needs to meet? Of course you want to avoid that. But if I meet the technology requirements, that doesn't mean that that I've actually impacted the, the, the success level of it, right? So, right? so what your requirements document needs to be is, is a business process requirements document. It's a business motion, right? It's, it's, it's a requirements of of the use cases it should, it should be written in the form of what are the user stories, the scenario? Yep. How is this going to be used? What is it going to impact? How is it going to impact those things? Right. Um, and in many ways, like I had somebody actually yesterday that I was talking to on the prospect side that said, well, you know, we needed to understand what the CRM was capable of before we could um, figure out what we uh, need the CRM to do. And I said, that's, that's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What you need to do is figure out what do you need it to do. Then you can begin to find. Right. Now, by the way, if you if you write this requirements document in in the form of defining the business issues, the business motions, the user stories, what success looks like, how it's going to be managed, it begins to look a lot like a job description. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And so since you're, since you're hiring the technology to do a job, right now, if you don't do that, then you get enticed by what's cool. You get enticed by, you know, you get enticed by the quality of the salesperson. You get enticed by the quality of the marketer. Right. Right. Good salesperson, wrong tech beats right tech bad salesperson if you haven't defined right. the underlying needs. And 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 technology has a magical power of putting itself in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And 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 so if you haven't defined what I mean first of all if you haven't defined what that job description is, then you probably don't understand the needs well enough to be able to assess the technology to determine which one is the right one for you. So even if you say, well, gee, we're just going to, we're going to get the technology, then we're going to focus on the business process. Well, guess what? You might be able to overcome it. Right. But the technology is leading the business process. 
Yep. Yep. And I think the other, yeah. And I think we're talking about this for selection, but I also think, and certainly it should be done there, but I also think if you do that early on, it carries through the whole implementation to launch because I was actually, I brought up the prime directive in an interview because I was talking to somebody with a training focus and I was explaining to her kind of how we train and how we like to train on your process happening to use whatever your tool is. We don't train you on the tool. And I was kind of talking her through that and how we do that and the want to define those user stories ahead of time. I mean, it helps with the build immensely. It helps, it helps identify the gaps within the build early on all the way through launch. So certainly at selection, but it actually ends up helping you throughout the whole process once the selection has been made as well. And, and you know where else it helps? Where? When things change. Yeah. Because then oh, you're yeah. able to understand, have things really changed? Right. And, and then you're able to assess, is this still the right technology? Yeah. Is this still the right application? Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, so I want to talk about tech debt and how do, how do you avoid the tech debt trap? Because I think that that is a, with all the tech that, that we have available at our fingertips easily now, that is a trap that, that you fall into. So how do you, how do you avoid that? Well, let me step back and talk about something that, that, that I think lost in the conversation around tech debt. Because we okay. talk about the tech debt of tech, and so we think tech, we think that we think tech. In my experience, we think tech, the tech and tech debt is the same thing as the tech in tech. The second <laughs> tech stands for technology, right? The first tech stands for technical. Okay. So tech debt is technical debt, right? Which means tech debt is far more than the technology, right? right? It, 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 it's the people, the processes, the systems, the tools, the technology, et cetera. It's all, it's all those things that, that are going on. And so what tech debt is, I mean, so the first thing is, is um, you, what is it? You, you can't stop LeBron. The best you can do is control him. Right. Or something like that. Or um, that. Right. So you're going to have tech debt like that. There's nothing you can do. That's, that's right. not going to create tech debt because you know, as the great philosopher Forrest Gump has said, shit happens. In 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 the same way, when you know, when when you think about when you when, when well, when you think about hiring, let's go back to hiring. Let's go back to don't buy technology, hire it, write job descriptions. Right. What's one of the items that you have in a job description? Who does this person report to? Mm-hmm. What's the org chart? Um, right. Who does this person serve? Where does this mm-hmm. person impact? Where does this person fit into? Are, are we looking for somebody that, that, that has cross talents because we're in a high change? So, so what, what you do to avoid um, it, this gets back to why business process is so important and why business process has to lead the effort is it, what the biggest cause of tech debt that, that is avoidable is we, we solve the, we solve for the acute pain. So we end up treating a lot of symptoms. Hey, I have mm-hmm. this problem. Hey, I have an order problem. You know, right. the, my reps entering orders is difficult. Look, yeah, yeah, I know there's a whole bunch of other things that we could do and there's a lot of places, but you know what? All we need is, right? And 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 so you define yourself by by this problem. Well, well, if you have an order issue, yeah, there's probably something wrong with the tech. Right. But it's still a symptom. It's still only a symptom of something deeper. If you sure. don't understand what that deeper thing is, 
then then you're going to make decisions that may solve for today, but but they build barriers, friction, difficulties for what you need tomorrow. And so what ends up happening, what tech debt is, is the cost of the decisions and actions that I take today that make the decisions and actions that I need to take tomorrow or in the future harder. And so if we're not thinking about the system, if we're not thinking about how we're managing holistically, if we're not thinking about what what is this based on? You know, one, one of mm-hmm. the biggest mistakes that I see that happens in, in how people are, are reacting in the world today and why why so many people are so overwhelmed is because we're we're just overloaded with change. Yeah. And so we feel like everything has changed, but everything hasn't changed. And as a matter of fact, more has not changed than has changed, right? And so the people who deal with change the best are the ones who, who are able to anchor themselves in the stability of the elements that have not changed, right? And, and, and the same thing is true in, in, in a system, in a design, and so forth. And, and, and so how do you avoid this? You, you think about what is the holistic system? Mm-hmm. How is this playing into what we're trying to do? What are the core elements? Hey, this is an area of, of ambiguity. This is an area where, where maybe we're a little bit more immature. There's going to be a lot of change here. Okay, that's going to tell me the decision that I need to make here. Is, yes, I need to solve this acute problem, but I need to make sure I do it in a way, right? And, and, and so you're able to build upon a solid foundation that enables you to, to better make changes. It also means, you know, the second reason that tech debt emerges itself is because you're penny wise and pound foolish. It, it, it feels right to pay $20,000 today because I've got a 20,000 problem. Cause I feel like I got a $20,000 problem today, mm-hmm. but, but I have a million dollar problem. Right. Over, over the next five years. Well, if I do a whole bunch of $20,000 problems before you know it, I spent $10 million and I still have this, big hunking million dollar problem that I'm in, in a hole on. Right. And, and so I didn't deal with it correctly. So yeah, I, I, I saved some time. I saved some money in that moment, but, but because of that, I also made it harder for us to deal or, or like a big area of tech debt is every day someone's doing something that they shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. is the day that that becomes more a part of normal. Yeah, which means inertia takes on even more, and and so let's put that off for like the biggest counterintuitive element, um, and and this became really clear because we actually kind of lost. Uh, um, this wasn't, I don't think, the only reason we lost a piece, you know, an, op- an opportunity that we should have won was, and and it really was a rationale around a budget issue, right? Um, and and what they what they the argument that they latched onto was, well. It doesn't make sense to do an implementation this big because it's too much change. And, and, and so our people will resist it, right? Because it's change. And so we yeah. want to reduce the change. We want to minimize the change so that we can get it. In, right? that, that was the rationale. Now, by the way, it does make sense. Right. Right. It is a very logical thing. It just doesn't work because what you realize is there is a place where there is too much change. No question about it. But if you're dealing with change mm-hmm. and, and the change you make to deal with change is not enough change, 
Yep. Then you won't get the change that you want. You like so if the change isn't big enough, hey, we want to get adoption because we're so worried about our people adopting the tool. Right. We're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna really we're we're gonna make it so nothing else changes except they, yeah, they're just gonna use the tool. Right. Well, if nothing else changes, you have you have two things. First off, why am I gonna use it? Right. The second thing is habits are a bitch. Yep. Inertia is a bitch. Yep. And so if the change isn't big enough, then it doesn't break the pattern for me to remember the change. I stay in my old habit. It doesn't, it, there's not enough force to break mm-hmm. the course and speed that people are on. Right. And so there's another element of tech debt. So every day that's happening is a day that this is the norm. Is it, And it's also a day that our, you know, that we fall a little bit further behind where we need. So the gap between where we are and where we need to be gets a little bit bigger. Yep. Now look, can you address every piece of tech debt? No, you can't. You cannot do that. There are times where you have to make a decision, even though you know, yes, this is going to create some tech. This is likely to create some tech debt. That's what we call a trade-off. It's <laughs> what we call a trade-off. But also what happens yeah. when you do that is you do mitigate the cost a little bit because you realize, sure. yes, this is... But that awareness changes how you do what you do. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So how frequently should your tech stack be reviewed? Wow. That, that, that's really variant. Um, I mean, it, it depends upon the size of your tech stack, mm-hmm. the size of velocity, um, how much change are you going through? So I would say that you probably want to do, you know, you, so you've got, you've got, a core core, your, your foundational pieces of tech, your, your platform elements, you probably want to be reviewing them every three years. I mean, there's, 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 there's an annual level to something, but you're, you're, I mean, the, the reality is if, if you were to change your, your platforms on an annual basis, it, that, that kind of like if that. you kind of like if you changed your project management tool every six months, well, no, you should change it every three months. We, we work in 90 day cycles, Jess. So if you're not changing the project management for every 90 days, then it's out, it gets out of sync with the cycle. Um, you know, annually, so, so every one to three, like everything should be reviewed somewhere in the, in the, in that, you know, there's something should be reviewed annually. Um, now I might, the way I might review annually, if I've got a large tech stack is I'm, you know, every quarter I'm reviewing a segment a different of those applications. Piece. I, I yeah. also think one of the dangers too is you 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 should have some element of what is what is the replacement time, mm-hmm. and and your replacement time is probably going to run thirty. I mean, uh, you know, on I'm sorry, it's going to run probably ninety days to a year. Yeah. Um, so like, if I wanted to change my CRM, mm-hmm. like let's say we wanted to change our CRM, right? I would need probably two years to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, if we had a less, if we had a less robust implementation, it might be a year. Right. But one of the things that happens is we, we, you know, we look at our application and we tie that review to the renewal cycle. Yeah. And, and we review it too close to the renewal cycle where we can't really make a change anyway. Rolling my eyes because I'm thinking of implementations that we've been involved in where that's been the case. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's clearer, like, but like there's this whole invisible thing where, you know what, we need to be thinking about this. Is this still, yep. um, be, because when you take a piece of technology out, 
you you're making a change. Yeah. Right. 100%. If you're shifting it, you make like so. There's a whole place, um, you know, where that happens. But yeah, I would say. Um, oh, and the other thing is, if if your environment, if your content context shifts materially, mm-hmm. then it it resets everyone everyone's review cycle. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so how, what, what do you, when you're reviewing your tech stack, kind of, how do you go about that? What do you review? Well, the first question I'm going to ask is what did we hire this for in the first place? Which goes back and to. It, and is that still relevant? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, am I going to create a job description every time I, I expand? I mean, you know, the, the biggest thing that I'm seeing is, um, that, that that's creating tech debt and and killing productivity and, and, and resiliency is, um, tech sprawl mm-hmm. and, and all these bits and pieces and features that begin to expand and, and, Oh, look, it can do this. Oh, look, it can do this. Um, and, and look, this is all, I mean, I hope everybody understands that this is all product led growth, dark patterns. Okay, I gotta go. I gotta go through the gatekeepers to get my to get my enterprise level or my platform level tech into your company. But now I'm gonna add feature, 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 feature. Push it down to the user level so the user can start using it. And before you know it, you've got 300 people using 14 different tools to do the same thing in different places, and you don't understand why your technology isn't isn't working. And then when you want to replace something, you know, yeah. Like, that is all by design. This is not an accident. Sprawl is not an accident. So, so always be thinking about what did we hire this for? Mm-hmm. Right? And this should all be driven by like, none of this stuff should be all that hard or mysterious because, because what you're managing is your business process. Right. Right. That's really where the change occurs. So what did we hire this for? What's changed since we hired it? Mm-hmm. How's it performing? Now I'll tell you the nice thing about technology is when you buy technology, there's no social contract. It is, it is a um, egalitarian review yep hey you're a nice technology you're friendly i appreciate it but you know what i can get 10 percent more for 30 percent less right you know what if you if you manage your contracts right i don't have to pay my technology severance when i find somebody right when i I find something better that comes along exactly right Um, now now again when you change technology you change process when you change technology you're changing things so don't Oh well, that's got a cool feature that this one doesn't have. Let's replace it because because there is a cost to that. But, right. Um, um, I'm always asking the question: Can we reduce headcount from an apps perspective? Okay. Right. Um, where can we? Like, I think I think the most powerful question you can ask is: Where can we find one tool to replace three applications? Yeah. You know, your your right tech stack is going to be a core stack. You're going to have a core. Your your core platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, your core platform applications, your primary apps that are going to be strong, and robust. Then you get into your secondary and complementary levels that are going to be very point-based solutions. And that's where I need something exceptional. Right. Um, those exceptional products will probably, they, they probably will and should have a premium. And one of the reasons that they should have a premium and you should be good to pay for it is if you're not paying a premium for your point-based product, for your point-based application, then the strategy of the organization, the strategy of the product provider is to find ways to get tentacles in to make replacing yeah. really hard. Yep. Right. 
Because what what any tech company, any SaaS tech company is going to do today is they will gladly they will gladly trade MRR or mm-hmm. ARR for increased lifetime. Right. Yeah. Because if they can add a tentacle, not only will they actually increase their lifetime, which will increase their valuation. Right. But it will also lower their cost to support. Because if you're harder to get rid of, then you can be that much more upset before I have to get rid of you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, absolutely. Look, the the idea of SaaS was a great idea. It was the idea that I'm going to take, you know, instead of you paying $10 million for this. So you can't really justify doing something, right? I'm going to let you pay it as a monthly subscription. But what, but what's missed there is the incentives then because the structure changed, the incentives changed. Right. And, and, you know, I, you know, we just had a conversation today where someone was talking about one of our ongoing services programs. They don't like, this is like a subscription. We don't want a subscription. We just want a block of hours that we can use as we need them. Okay. That's fine. We will entertain that, but understand Mm-hmm. you're going to pay out, you're going to pay a much higher cost per hour. Right. You're going to have, you know, be, because we have to manage it. It has to be right. right. And, and so those things happen. So you have to think about like not, I always say never play the new game in the casino. Why is that? Because when there's a new game in the casino, what I can tell you is I don't need to know anything about the game. And I can tell you with 98% confidence that it has the lowest payout to player in the casino. Because casino floor space is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any casinos that really have a lot of room to add something new? No. So that space is really important. Yeah. And so here's how you kind of look at it. If this isn't going to pay the casino more than a slot machine will, <laughs> right. then you're going to put a slot machine there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you know, you you need to have craps. Craps has better odds than it than than um, a slot machine, but it's not a casino without craps, right? So, like, and, and by the way, what do you see? You see two to four craps tables usually, right? Yeah, uh, in a very defined area, right? So when they came out with War, I don't know if you remember, they came out with, like you could play I, War as a casino. So, so I remember it as from Vegas Vacation. I didn't realize it was an actual thing. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like, I got I, I got news for you. Casino, like, don't play that game. Right? The casino's going to win. Right? By the way, the only casino games that exist that have any, any ability for the player to win, they've been around for thousands of years, and they existed before there was actually a casino. Poker, Blackjack, Crash. Those are the only three games that have any element of the player impacts their, their, their performance. Yep. I have a friend who loves roulette and he's, oh, no, no, no. There's a, str- I've got a great strategy for roulette. No, you don't. There's not. All right. So I don't even remember the question we were talking about, but we were we talking, were talking about, about uh, we were talking about tech stack to be reviewed. You talked about re- reducing headcount for at apps. Oh, right, right. Um, so on, on, so, so on those point applications, you should be willing to pay more because the, the, the incentives are going to be a lot, right? That, yeah. Again, that's, that becomes another place of tech debt. And so what ends up happening is I, okay, I get this, the tentacles are there. It's harder to remove. Um, so what ends up happening is I end up having to add another app to it 
to address this other thing over yeah. here, and that's where the sprawl occurs. So, okay. so that's you know, it, it's like, would would you hire somebody for less than what you've determined someone capable of the job would need to be hired for? I mean, I know some people who will do that. Their turnover is astronomically high, and their results suck. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so when you have this clarity, by the way, when you're clear about your business process and you're clear about these other things and you've got job descriptions, one of the things that you begin to realize is you don't need as much tech as you thought you needed. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, Jess, as we've gotten more and more focused on tech implementation and, and we've gotten more understanding and insight of it and, and we've gained more expertise. I mean, it's the thing that blows me away. We use it like we use less of it. Yeah, I know. Remember, we used to be, hey, this new thing. Hey, we got this. Remember, I was like. I remember like every other week we were. Yeah, because all you had to do was show me what this. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, you know what? We could do it for this. We could do it. Oh, look at right. And now it's like, nope, I got the business process clear. Hey, you know what? That's really cool. By the way, I have a friend of mine who's who's like has my brain going gangbusters. And I'm thinking about this. and And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? We've got like seven places to address. Before that's the place that would have the biggest yeah. use for the squeeze. And so, and so like the fact that I'm not more mode, and I think he is surprised as well. Cause he's used, to, he remembers me the days of you throw an idea at Doug and he dry, you know, jumps on it. Yeah. And like, um, and look, you know, I mean, we've got the results to show for it. So I think it works. Yep. Um, so that's actually a nice segue into my, my last question, which is, you know, I'm a firm believer and if everything's a priority, nothing is. So, like once you've done your review, how do you triage what to do? Cause I don't, I think that's another place. It's a trap. Certainly we used to fall into of wanting to implement too many things at once. So how do you, how do you triage, you know, what you should focus on first, second and third. G- g- give me a little bit more context to the question, just cause I'm. I'm... So let, let, let's say that you've, you've done a review and you've identified three areas of your tech stack where a change needs to be made and enhancement needs to be made. How, how do you, how do you triage what, what you're going to tackle first? It's going to be completely by, I mean, there, there, there's a whole series of, of, of underlying questions about, you know, you know, what, what is the context? What, what is the problem? Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, what, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? What, what, what is impacting the problem? What's causing the problem? What, what is the problem impacting? Um, how much, how much effort is it going to take to make the change? What else is impacted by the change? What is being held up because the change hasn't occurred? It, um, I mean, this is why, I mean, what we call the, the, you know, the strategic RevOps roadmap is so important or to get even more specific, um, you know, what we talk about is the three zones of execution. Mm-hmm. There, there's always a prioritization schema and that is what strategy is all about. So, so to like to answer that question, though, those are, I mean, first off, they're never easy questions, right? So they're, they're hard questions, but the thing that make them addressable is when you have a real actual strategy, not something that you call a strategy there, there's a, you know, there, there's a hypothesis, a diagnosis of the situation. There's a series of guiding policies, um, and, and constraints and actions to follow. Like there, there's, you, you're, you're, you're seeing what's happening. Yeah. So, so it's, I mean, this, this is where we're also getting into, you can listen to our episodes about system design, Yep. you know, to be able to make these decisions. I mean, the, the, the truth is 
that you're always, if, if you've got a strong structure and you've got a strong approach, you've got stability with constant change. And, and yep. one of the things that makes change hard is when you don't have constant change. So, so too often we change our tech stack by event. Yeah. Um, you know, th- think about how, how applications are managed today, right? They used to be managed to upgrade cycles. Mm-hmm. Then they got managed to release cycles. Yeah. Right. Summer, winter. You'd come in, boom, change. It's like a new application. A lot of stuff. Saying, Here's new stuff. Yep. But now it's every day. Now yeah. it's multiple times per day. Now it's, no, it, when that's done wrong, mm-hmm. it feels like the thing is always changing. But, but if you think about it, um, you know, HubSpot has gotten much better at this because HubSpot used to have that, well, every time I go in it, it looks different. But you don't right. have that problem anywhere near as much anymore. They've gotten much better no. at that. No. As a matter of fact, they almost get to the point where, where like, what, what's up with HubSpot? They haven't, there's not, nothing new. Yeah, the only time I notice is if I'm looking for something very specific that I'm like, oh, this this isn't this is in a slightly different place than it was. I ran into it today actually with demoing but, something. You know, what, like, oh. And then yeah. you go, well, wait, here's a list of 700 things that didn't exist 90 days ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and so because of that, right, where there there's always change, it makes the change easier. So if we're always tweaking and adjusting our tech stack and moving those things forward. And, 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 you know, the focus is on velocity, not speed, consistency, not right. So, so these are not things that get done by event. These are things that get staged, operationalized, executed. And, and, and that's what leads to being truly flexible, truly. Yep. I agree. All right. I got a couple of, uh, key takeaways. Um, so don't put together a, a, a tech requirements document put together a business process requirements document and that feeds into everything from selection to implementation to review cycles and then um, make sure that you look at the system holistically and not just address the acute issues um, I see that frequently um, and then what you just said about velocity I think is key as well so the constant change actually makes it easier when you make future changes and maintaining that velocity of change clear eyes full hearts can't lose <laughs> um, yeah I think those are the keys to to building and managing you know what I don't like the term ideal tech stack you don't I do not okay I think it's good for maybe a blog post title or maybe a title for a podcast episode. I don't think you should be pursuing the ideal tech stack. I think you should be pursuing the right tech stack, the right tech stack for you. I like that. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to be the ideal tech stack. Well, and the ideal, the ideal tech stack might be the wrong, might be the wrong decision for you. If you're trying to reach the ideal, that might not be the best solution for you. I'll tell you what, if you have the ideal tech stack, you are spending too much money. You are, it is costing you. The juice yeah. isn't worth the squeeze for, for ideal. Yep. But by the way, I'm, I'm a believer in, in resiliency and robustness. I'm a believer in efficiency. Um, but as you know, I think efficiency causes a problem. Yep. Right. If we get too efficient, I will tell you that if you're, if you have the ideal tech stack, then you're not being efficient enough. If everybody has everything that they want, <laughs> let me put it to you this way. I've, I've quoted some philosophy, right? I talked about Forrest Gump. Let me share another philosopher, Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger says, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, 
you just might find you get what you need. The ideal tech stack is it satisfies your wants. Yeah. And and I promise you, if you have an ideal tech stack, you are you've got you've got tech sprawl, you've got right. So so the ideal tech stack is not the ideal. Right. It's the one that gets the job done within the constraints that you have and enables you to continue to move. I agree. And on that note, thanks everybody. (laughs) And that's a wrap on this episode of the RevOps show. I like the conversation Doug was having right at the end where he mentioned he didn't like to think about the ideal tech stack because what is ideal to a business? Ultimately, when you choose tech for your company, you have to go back to your business process to make sure it's being assisted by that technology. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Leave us a review and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about your tech stack, email me at hannah at liftenablement.com or hit us up on Twitter at Demand Creator. Until next time, remember, you can't solve your upstream problems downstream.